Hello and welcome to another episode of the Radix Research Podcast, where multifamily industry experts join us to discuss macro trends, cover key operating procedures, and share localized insights impacting the apartment market. Radix is a full-scale multifamily data provider tracking leading operating indicators from the unit level all the way to the national level. In today's episode, we will be discussing the rapidly changing economic environment and how to weather the coming storm of economic stability as it relates to the multifamily industry. We are thrilled to be joined today by Blairam Zachiri, founder and CEO of Radix. Blairam, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Chris. This is exciting. I'm the first guest on the Radix podcast. You are. You are. And it's a great time to be launching a podcast. Perhaps not great in terms of the way the economy is shaking out, but I think a really important time uh, to be discussing some of these things specifically as it relates back to investments, asset management, property management. So so let's just start things off. You know, where are we kind of in this economic cycle? I know we've been in a rapid growth phase coming out of the pandemic, but it seems like things are starting to shift and shift quite quickly. Uh, that's right. That's right. And when you look at all the data, uh, it's pointing to a very confusing time. The, the fact is, we've got data points that tell us for a fact that we are most likely in a recession, GDP has decelerated rapidly. This is going to be the second quarter, which by definition, we're in a recession. Yet, on the other hand, employment, which usually follows, or unemployment, I should say, which usually follows a recession, has stayed constant or, in fact, decreasing. Unemployment claims are at the lowest in, in a very long time. Uh, so from that standpoint, this is if, it's, if we're going to have a recession, it's going to be unlike uh, any recession we've had in 60, 70 years Now, that's not to say that unemployment is not going to increase further down the road. It potentially could, depending on how severe and how deep this recession is. But for now, uh, employment keeps uh, stable or or growing, and uh, unemployment claims are are very low and decreasing. Yeah, absolutely. So we almost see a bit of a a bifurcation, a a very tight labor market, as you described, but um, the production and the consumption side seems to be slowing down. The big buzzword right now that everyone's talking about is inflation, right? In my opinion, the Fed was too late to raise rates. I I realized they were in a a bit of a bind. They didn't want to raise rates too early, but I think they raised rates a little bit too late. Uh, Will they be able to correctly identify when to start slowing the tightening, perhaps ease a little bit or even just pull back on on the rapid increases to interest rates that they're currently on? I think the Fed has realized their mistake. I think for most of us, we could see that the easy monetary policy was was leading to all sorts of bubbles from real estate to commodities to housing prices and even things like uh, NFTs and uh, Bitcoin and, and all sorts of currencies that are fictitious currencies, I would call them. So those are the types of things that are obviously going to go up with an easy monetary policy. So I think they realized that they probably held on for too long. And maybe over uh, liquidify the economy, so to speak, if I can even make up that term. And so now trying to correct that mistake, they're doubling down, obviously, and raising interest rates. And they've been pretty open about the fact that we're going to have to raise interest rates pretty rapidly in order to uh, slow down the the inflation, which is taking root. It's not transitory, as a lot of people were were saying it was going to be. It's here to stay. And and frankly, it's probably going to stay much longer than we think so. Uh, it's not really very shocking when you think about it. Uh, around the world, all the central banks printed a lot of money in order to overcome the obstacles during COVID-19 and provide liquidity in the markets. But that has to go somewhere now. And, and it has to work its way through global economy. And 
with all the challenges and headwinds coming with geopolitics, it's going to be interesting to see how that that works. Yeah, I, I agree. Given what you just said, and you've got an interesting perspective, both um, from a from a tech startup side as well as a multifamily side, how does this increase in interest rates? How does this tightening in policy? impact money supply and impact the way money is flowing in, in our economy, be it you know in the startup world or even in the multifamily world? Um, I think in some ways it's going to bring back, it's going to bring us back to basics, basic fundamentals of, of real estate, basic fundamentals of, of startups. As we saw in, in 99, 2000 with the dot-com boom, when you have a lot of money floating around, inevitably uh, good ideas get funded, but also uh, bad ideas. And so you have a lot of companies with, with a lot of money raised. Efficiencies are not really the norm. The idea is just a land grab. Uh, but sometimes those ideas are not really worth funding, per se. Or you might have a slightly uh, good idea, but pretty bad operations around it. So, Which means that coming to profitability or self-sustaining, it's going to be a much longer path if it wasn't for the easy money that is following some of the business ideas or startups. Same thing happens with real estate. You see, for instance, some of the properties trading at record prices, uh, even in markets that in the past you would not associate with record prices. And so what that means is you're going to have to raise uh, rents very rapidly in order to come back with a similar return to historical norms. And then you have to think, step back and say, okay, will that property, for instance, that you just paid a record price be able to increase rents over and over and over again in order to have those types of returns. And once you kind of back up from that perspective, you you might realize that that's going to be very tough. You're counting on double-digit rent growth for, for the next five years, which we all know that's not really sustainable. So one other kind of area of the economy that I want to talk about just briefly, you and I have joked about the, the supply chain buzzword that's been thrown around for the past you know, 24 months. But the supply chain disruption has had a rapid and major impact on the U.S. economy. It feels like really for the first time in 75 years since, since World War II, we're moving toward a less global economy. How do you see that impacting uh, our domestic economy and, and also our, our industry, the multifamily industry? Uh, that's true. Every, everything is a supply chain problem these days, including if you're developing software. I'm, uh, I'm joking, obviously. But the point is, uh, supply chain, we saw it for the first time, the just-in-time supply chain model, how badly it can get disrupted when the world economy gets shut down. So throw on top of it the geopolitical trends that are not working in favor of globalization. They haven't, frankly, worked for quite some time. We just haven't really been paying that much attention to it. Uh, We wanted the most affordable price, not necessarily looking at the long-term cost of some of these things. But you're right that we are decoupling from a globalization. I think it's going to be more of a regionalization, so to speak, more near nearshoring, and more leaning towards countries that we think are going to be geopolitically stable and not necessarily uh, work against us uh, over the long run. So without tiptoeing around China, does that mean that China is now going to uh, essentially be the a manufacturing powerhouse uh, for the rest of the world? No, not necessarily, but it's going to become less of the uh, powerhouse that it is today. And, you, and they're going to, obviously, their goal is going to be to how do you move manufacturing to more skilled and high-tech manufacturing so that uh, other countries around Southeast Asia maybe pick up what China is no longer interested. But you're going to see a lot of the manufacturing also happen uh, near shore in Mexico, uh, 
Latin America. And as far as Europe goes, you're going to see more of it in Eastern Europe, maybe even parts of the Middle East and so on. So in areas where you think there's going to be a little bit more stability and more proximity to the market or the final destination of that product is going to be. Yeah, and I think you've seen that in everything from solar panels to microchips to grain production. Speaking specifically to, to the multifamily industry, we've seen construction timelines extend with, with issues surrounding supply chain. You know, where can we get paint? Where can we get windows? Where can we get aluminum? Over the short term, I, I expect that, that those hiccups will continue. But as we move towards this more regionalized economy or, or nearshoring, as you said, do you expect we'll get back to kind of historic construction timelines or will, will we need to re, reassess our assumptions in the future for how long it takes to to build a multifamily project? I think there were two, really two parallel constraints that happened in multifamily. One, we had the shutdown, which for quite some time, you know, labor couldn't even go to job sites, then finally that opened up. And then after a little bit, once the reserves of all the lumber and everything else got exhausted, we realized that, okay, those factories, those places that produce all the uh, construction material, being shut down for two or three months, we're, we're going to run out of it. So I think th- that combination of both labor and material is really what led to this huge constraint. Moving forward, I think we're going to figure out both is my, my expectation. As far as construction material goes, if it becomes very difficult to source this from places like China, let's say I think a lot of construction companies and suppliers are going to figure out ways well, maybe we need to build a factory someplace else. Of course, that doesn't happen overnight. I'm talking about one to three years from now, we're going to figure out quite a few of those. In terms of labor, with uh, the economy slowing down, less job sites, I, I think you're going to see more more of a kind of an easement in terms of labor shortages that we have seen in construction industry for, for the last two years. I was talking to a friend of mine, and in some secondary ter- tertiary markets, they're already seeing some of the costs come down. There's less of a kind of tight labor market that they had seen just six months ago. That has to work its way to key markets, uh, markets like Phoenix, Atlanta, parts of Texas. That's going to take some time because there's quite a bit of construction going on, but it will work its way through even to, to some of the booming markets that we've seen. So that's a great segue into my next question. Uh, when we think about the economy, oftentimes we think you know national GDP is negative or the unemployment rate is 3.6% nationwide. Uh, but we know it's it's a much more regionalized and localized and nuanced story. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal just a few days ago about red states and blue states, and, and it was less about the political climate in those areas, but more the attraction. How do you foresee kind of the, the next 12 to 24 months playing out in different markets? That was a very interesting article uh, in the Wall Street Journal. I think we're going to see that play out probably for, for, for quite a bit of time. There's a confluence of factors that are happening that is leading to, quote-unquote, you know, red states outperforming blue states, uh, one of which has to do with the initial shutdowns uh, that happened during COVID. Uh, people could work from anywhere now, and they realize that maybe I don't want to live in a small apartment in the Bay Area. I can move to... to Montana or move to another state and have a lot more room to work from there and not get too tied down with, with just being inside an apartment or inside a tiny house. So that was one component, uh, work from work from anywhere. The second component was the lockdowns themselves. Uh, certain states had more uh, 
uh, rapid lockdowns and kind of more stringent lockdowns and, uh, and much slower reopenings. I think that led to some people, you know, just being too cooped out inside their their homes. And then the ongoing opening up, then shutting down, that also happened in certain states far more frequently than in other states. Throw on top of that the school openings, which for a lot of families was a burden, having kids at home for, for six months or a year at, at a time. And I think those were some of the initial reasons for people to think about moving and picking up and moving. Other secondary reasons, which essentially are far more important in the long run, are housing costs in markets, red states, let's call them that, Arizona, Texas, Florida. Housing was far more affordable than it was in the Northeast or California or uh, Seattle area, for instance. So you could sell a house and essentially upgrade and, and into a much larger house, let's say here in Phoenix, and still have a lot of money left over. So that was that was a win-win proposition. Uh, of course, this is going to balance markets out. That's why markets like Phoenix, Florida, have seen rapid home appreciation, and that's because there are a lot of people moving. And then the other kind of long-term drivers for people to move into some of these states are taxes, companies moving from one location to another, and so on. So if employees are moving, then companies are going to start thinking, why am I here if all my employees are moving to Texas or Arizona or Florida or wherever else? We saw a lot of those happen. Most recently, Citadel announced they're leaving Chicago for Florida. And there have been a lot of those, obviously. So I think we're going to see some of that play out, which in return, I think there's going to be a discrepancy on how hard it hits which markets in the country. Because if you have a lot of people moving into your market, that inevitably creates some demand. It creates more demand from restaurants, more demand from uh, you know everything, consumer consumption, everything else, because you have more people in that market than you did just six months or a year ago. That doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to have a recession at all, but it's going to be far milder than it might be in a place where you have economic downturn, and on top of it, you have far fewer people requesting those services or products in, in that market. That's why we have seen parts of Midwest, for instance, that have been struggling for the last 15, 20 years, even when the markets are doing very well. There simply isn't enough demand there for housing or products or things of that nature in order for those economies to keep going. As we all know, it's people that drive the economy and, quite frankly, almost nothing else. Yeah, and, and we've seen some of the trends that you just referred to play out in our data. You know, Looking over the past 12 to 18 months, the Florida markets, Miami, Tampa, um, in, in the Texas, Austin, and San Antonio have been some, some of the fastest growing markets from a rent perspective and an occupancy perspective. Those states also tend to be what I would consider the most development friendly, easiest to develop, shortest timelines, and, and fewest hurdles to develop. You mentioned a little bit about supply and demand. Where do you see kind of that supply and demand balance moving in the next, say, 12 to 24 months? Do you still see a lot of development going on in Texas and Florida? And is there a risk of overbuilding or is there enough movement, enough migration to absorb all of the single family and multifamily that they're building? There is always a risk of overbuilding, but I think if you consider the last 10 years, by historical norms, we have not built as much as we should. It's going to be very hard to think on how we can overbuild in the next call of three to five years. Because even in places that we tend to think of as easy to build, it really isn't that easy anymore. Uh, land has gotten far more expensive. You've got, from a regulatory uh, planning, zoning, those types of things, you've got a lot of municipalities that might not be as friendly as the overall state. 
in terms of warning development right then and there. So even if the overall state is very uh, welcome in terms of uh, housing built, this this is part of the challenge we have in, the, in our country is that a lot of municipalities and localities can't have a lot of say in what gets built there and doesn't. So I, I don't think you're going to see a tremendous amount of, of construction and development happening in these markets. Now, some markets might get overbuilt by a couple of years, but then again, if you have a lot of people moving into that market, it's going to get absorbed relatively quickly. We're seeing that in our data, obviously. Uh, these markets, even when they drop down a little bit, demand immediately starts picking up. And so I think we're going to see a lot of that happening. But it's not going to go on forever because a lot of markets have just gotten too big. You're going to have to start thinking in terms of more vertical growth, more vertical development, because the sprawl of Phoenix, for instance, has gotten already very big. And with gasoline prices at record highs, traffic, all those things, who wants to drive for an hour and a half to get somewhere, obviously? You're also talking about a very expensive uh, commute back and forth, which is also driving more people to want to work from home in, in some instances. So I think that's the geographical constraint, in other words, in some of these markets is going to force a lot of developers to think more of more infill location, more uh, mid to high rise types of buildings. Those cost more money, which in return is going to slow some of the development. So you've alluded to a couple points there with Phoenix. Are we doing enough to develop and, and redefine our infrastructure, be it roadways or internet access, to support some of the rapid growth in a place like Phoenix or Austin? Or will we reach kind of this uh, tipping point where people say, you know what, there's there's just too much traffic, it's too difficult to get around, or there's not enough access to, to community amenities and community infrastructure? I, I think absolutely. We will see a point where... Every city, every municipality, every state is going to have a tough time keeping up if the, if the growth we've seen, for instance, in markets like Phoenix or Austin continues at this pace. Um, I live in Phoenix Metro. We're seeing here, for instance, the state is very proactive in, in expanding infrastructure. If it's highways, for instance, they think years in advance and add another lane or two. But once you go seven, eight, nine lanes on a highway, there's it's hard to imagine how you can add more, more lanes, as, a, as an example. The commute times also become longer and longer because you're inevitably going to have accidents. You're going to have things, even if you have a lot of capacity, in other words, uh, just a, a lot of uh, moving pieces that happen when, when you're driving for an hour. The same thing happens with water consumption, electricity consumption, all these different things. Every, I think every state is going to run into what is that tipping point where it becomes... Uh, harder to sustain the same level of growth that you've seen in the past. I think this is going to get reflected in pricing first, and then also people's lifestyle. That's part of the reason why a lot of people wanted to uh, leave some of the states, such as uh, you know California or New York. Uh, if it becomes too difficult to live there, uh, too much of a battle for everything from parking to housing to energy prices going up, people inevitably will want to kind of look for some someplace else. And I think that's that might happen long term even from states like Arizona or Texas into other states that are not seeing as, as big of a boom right now. Absolutely. So we, we've talked a lot about some of the, the stronger aspects of the, of the economy, some of the weaker aspects of the economy, perhaps some of the opportunities in still fast-growing areas and markets. Putting that all together, assuming that we are in a recession and that we are in an economic slowdown, will it be short-lived? Do you think it'll be kind of a, a quick dip in recovery or are we going to be kind of in a, in a longer uh, slog, perhaps reminiscent of 09, 2010, 2011 recovery? Quite frankly, it's anyone's guess. 
I think there are a lot of things that we don't know what we don't know. If, if it turns out that a lot of lending has been done to whether it's businesses or companies or industries that should have never been financed at the level that we have seen over the last two to three years, I think that's going to exacerbate the problem. I personally don't think that's the case. Uh, we saw, for instance, in the startup world, uh, there's been a lot of equity financing, obviously, that has happened, but not necessarily lending done to speed up this growth. But we just never know. You, you can have a, a massive hedge fund blow up and it's going to make things look far worse than it is. If you look at the data that we know as of today, it doesn't look like it would be a, a huge uh, prolonged recession like we saw, for instance, in 08 or 09. Again, just because it's not really driven by one of the, the key things such as the world of finance. But we frankly don't know. It's going to happen so much in geopolitics. It's going to happen a lot. Uh, a lot of it is going to depend on Commodities is going to depend on other things that we, as of today, they look pretty good, but it might turn out that they were not as healthy as we thought they might be. Right. So I'll get you out of here on this one. Um, I love playing these kind of hypothetical games, but if you were Jerome Powell, chair of the Fed for, for one day, and you were looking at all the different economic data and housing data and global data that, that um, we have in front of us, what would you do as, as chair of the Fed for one day? It's, it's one of those things that recently I've been reading and listening to a lot of podcasts about Rome. And well, the thing that I would focus on is not whether we think we're going to have a recession or not. It's quite frankly, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of irrelevant. Uh, but how are we positioned as a country for uh, longevity and how are we position, positioning our economy for a healthy long-term growth? Recessions are corrections in many ways and it helps weed out inefficiency from, from businesses, from the labor market, and, and really everything that makes the economy dry. So focusing on long-term, how are we positioning ourselves uh, to have sustainable growth and uplift more and more uh, Americans uh, in terms of income, uh, education, uh, healthcare, things of that nature that help our economy keep the same vitality that we saw for so many decades, I think that's going to be the most important. So if that requires the Fed to raise rates more quickly, I would say so be it. Uh, as long as we know that we're positioning ourselves over the long term to see the same economy that we all would like to see. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Blarem. It's been great talking to you today. I really appreciate you coming on for our first podcast. Again, we've been joined today by Blarem Zachiri, CEO and founder of Radix. Thank you all for listening, and we hope that you uh, join in soon again. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Radix Research Podcast. For more information on Radix's suite of multifamily data products, please go to radix.com or reach out to me at chris.nebenzal at radix.com. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion and we welcome your feedback on any of the topics we've covered. Thank you and we hope you join us again soon.